This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Welcome to Sunday Commentary, a weekly program designed to break open the Sunday Scripture readings. Join us as we listen to God's Word and seek to grow in our love and understanding for the good news in our lives. And now, Sunday Commentary with Kevin Doran and Carla Wehrman. The liturgical scripture readings for the third Sunday of Lent. A reading from the book of Exodus. In those days, God delivered all these commandments. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that place of slavery. You shall not have other gods besides me. You shall not carve idols for yourselves in the shape of anything in the sky above or the earth below or in the waters beneath the earth. You shall not bow down before them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, inflicting punishment for their father's wickedness on the children of those who hate me down to the third and fourth generation, but bestowing mercy down to the thousandth generation on the children of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave unpunished the one who takes his name in vain. Remember to keep holy the Sabbath day. Six days you may labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. No work may be done then either by you or your son or daughter, or your male or female slave, or your beast, or by the alien who lives with you. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but on the seventh he rested. That is why the Lord has blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that you may have a long life in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male or female slave, nor his ox or ass, nor anything else that belongs to him. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Responsorial Psalm, Lord, you have the words of everlasting life. Lord, you have the words of everlasting life. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The decree of the Lord is trustworthy, giving wisdom to the simple. Lord, you have the words of everlasting life. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eye. Lord, you have the words of everlasting life. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true, all of them just. Lord, you have the words of everlasting life. They are more precious than gold, than a heap of purest gold, sweeter also than syrup or honey from the comb. Lord, you have the words of everlasting life. 
A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, Jews and Greeks alike, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Since the Passover of the Jews was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple area those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, as well as the money changers seated there. He made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple area with the sheep and oxen and spilled the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, take these out of here and stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples recalled the words of scripture, zeal for your house will consume me. At this, the Jews answered and said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Therefore, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they came to believe the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. While he was in Jerusalem for the feast of Passover, many began to believe in his name. And when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus would not trust himself to them because he knew them all and did not need anyone to testify about human nature. He himself understood it well. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Kevin, we have the third Sunday of Lent opening up for us, and uh, our readings today, uh, in both the first reading and the gospel reading, they focus on, they bring focus to the law of God. Now, not the law just to be, you know, established for restricting us and putting, you know, putting restrictions on us, but the law that's set there to protect us and to guide us. And how beautiful that is. So if we kind of make a contrast with the past three weeks, we had covenant themes in the past three weeks, Noah and Abraham and Moses. And this week we had the giving of the commandments. And I wanted to think or reflect a little bit this time on the 10 commandments impact on our country's founding. Uh, Judeo-Christian principles and the 10 commandments in particular form the foundation of our country, its guiding vision and the original documents of our government. I mean, notice, notably the Declaration of Independence and our constitution. Uh, the first three commandments define the relationship with our God. The second seven commandments define the relationship with our fellow man. And these two components form the basis needed for the proper functioning of society. And by our human nature, we implicitly recognize that there is someone greater than us that merits worship. And from this greater being, God, we receive our moral code. And so that is one big reason why we see in the Declaration of Independence, it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So from the Declaration, we see that the government must respect the rights of each citizen. 
And of course, this is a huge component of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights as well. So I wanted to give folks a mindset of those involved with the forming of early government. And I'd like to read a few quotes from you from the book, The Christian Life and Character of the Civil Institutions of the United States. This was written by Benjamin Morris. Here was a writing from some pastors back in 1775. All laws and regulations were designed to be for the good of the governed, that the object of concentrated power was to protect, not invade personal liberty, and when it failed to do this and oppressed instead of protected, assailed instead of defending rights, resistance became lawful, nay, obligatory. This was from a Reverend McMaster. The highest end of a state and of its whole order is a moral end. And then this from DeWitt Clinton. Justice cannot be administered without the sanction of truth. And so you see this founding in this mindset back then that the power of the government is to be used to protect personal liberty. And the Ten Commandments form those guideposts and set the rights and the limits of how our government interacts with society. So we must come back to the Ten Commandments in order to regain the proper functioning of our society because we've fallen so far away from that and we've seen the discord that comes from that. So indeed, that mindset of the original founding fathers was so ingrained of living those Ten Commandments and protecting personal liberty and how important that is to regain that. Right, and that was to restrict the outreach of government. That's exactly right. And to, and to protect uh, the, the, the people. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's very exactly good. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, also in this reading, that's very good. In this reading, also, we also hear about God's promise to bestow mercy even as far as the thousandth generation of the children of those who love him and keep his commandments. So, you know, if you think about this on one level, it's logical, well, of course, you know, because those who truly love God and keep his commandments, right, they're going to teach their children to love God and keep the commandments and they're going to teach their children and so on and so forth. So that just kind of makes sense. But there's so much more to this promise than what it sounds like just a logical chain of events. God's promise to bestow mercy remains intact even when we mess up, even if there are times in our life that we turn away from him. His promise of mercy remains unchanged. The only thing that changes is us. God does not react to us. We react to God. And this is so important because the part or party that reacts is the part or party that is changed. And God never changes. This is why God's promises are such a big deal, because when God makes a promise, it never changes, regardless of what we do. The outcome may change because we refuse to cooperate with God's plan. We choose our will over the will of God. Yeah, we, we really like our will, don't we? We sure do. <laughs> we see what happens in the world when we follow our will. Yeah, sometimes not so good. <laughs> and and in, as we move into the second reading, we talk about needing to understand that wisdom of God. Boy, the wisdom of God is difficult to understand from a worldly mindset, isn't it, Garland? It is. St. Paul tells us that the foolishness of God is wiser than the human wisdom and that the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And if we back up a couple of verses, they, they weren't included in this reading today. St. Paul explains that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And he reminds us of a passage from Isaiah where the prophet wrote, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will thwart. The point St. Paul is making is that wisdom devoid of the truth of that is God 
It isn't wisdom at all, but rather it's foolishness, and it will lead souls to their own destruction. Yes, because human wisdom says, I want to teach you selfishness through self-preservation. But the foolishness of God teaches to give oneself totally for the love of others. And think about when we proclaim Christ crucified and the suffering of the cross, what fruits come of that? Perseverance, wisdom, faith, and holiness all come from suffering and uniting our sufferings to the cross. How important that is to live that life. Yeah, it is. Amen. Well, in our gospel today, we see here, normally the temple is the place to encounter God. Well, there was a lot of other things going on in that temple today, wasn't there, Carla? Yeah, there was. And Jesus became outraged with the money changers because they were using that outer area of the temple that was supposed to be a place of prayer and worship. And they were using it as a marketplace. In other words, they converted a place that was supposed to be reserved for God into a place that focused on worldly goods. And there are many times in our lives that we're not really so very different from those money changers. You know, we allow other activities, other interests to take the place in our hearts that should belong to God. When we make our worldly desires more important than our desire to serve God, we become like the money changers when we shut God out of our daily lives. Okay, so maybe we might grudgingly eke out you know, an hour of our time on Sundays to half-heartedly fulfill our obligation to attend Mass, you know, check that one off the list. But let's ask ourselves, you know, do we really keep the Lord's days holy as we're commanded to? And it, or does it feel more like God is just, we're just squeezing God into a one-hour time slot so that we can get on with our day? You know, it's not really a fulfillment of the commandment to keep holy the Lord's day, if we look at it that way. And do we really worship only the one true God, you know? Or do we have other places, other gods in our hearts that the place that only God should be? And this is what we should really, you know, we can kind of boil it down to, you know, is our, do we have the false gods of power, possessions, and pleasure that we allow to take the place in our hearts that should belong to God alone? Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Sunday Commentary with Kevin Doran and Carla Wehrman, produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.